The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 11. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. When Jesus confronted the power of the demonic and diabolical in today's gospel from Luke chapter 11, he also confronted the crowds around him with a remarkable choice. On the one hand, either Jesus really was the vanguard, the front line of God's saving activity in the world, or he was a religious grifter who was manipulating spirits by the power of darkness. And Luke records in great detail exactly how Jesus justified that he was the former and not the latter, that he really is the front line of God's saving activity in the world, and that all of the turmoil that came from his appearing could be explained by that. Now, it seems to me, though, that today, the remarkable choice when it comes to something like what we read in Luke chapter 11 is a little different. Today, it seems that our two choices are either everything that we encounter is purely explainable by physical, almost mechanical explanations of the interactions between forces and fields and molecules and enzymes and proteins and the like. 
or everything is somehow connected to mysterious and unexplainable metaphysical forces that you will need to somehow figure out to make sense of the world. According to the former, if you have any kind of malady, what you need is sufficiently advanced technology. And according to the latter, if you face any malady, what you need is sufficiently deployed spiritual strength and resolve. Which reminds me of the way C.S. Lewis introduced his famous book on the world of the demonic, The Screwtape Letters, with this axiom. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. In today's gospel, Jesus leads us to avoid those two equal and opposite errors. He shows us here that the demonic is a real enemy, yes, but it's an enemy that needs more than spiritual speculation from religious gurus and certainly more than purely technical or mechanical explanations of the way the world works or the caricatures of popular society. Instead, what he shows us is that we need to align ourselves on the winning side of this entire conflict, to be aligned on the winning side of the war, which is to be aligned in the end with the person and power of Jesus Christ. Now, anytime we try to pin down a satisfyingly detailed explanation of the diabolical, we often find ourselves a little disappointed. So maybe today we can think of it this way, that we tend to sense that we are encountering the diabolical when we encounter evil that is unexpected and also unexplained. Unexpected and unexplained. And it's in those times that we tend to sense that the evil we're encountering is a little more than something that, that could have a simple explanation. Six years ago, a man crashed a hole through a window on the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada. And through the hole, he aimed part of his 24-weapon arsenal at a country music festival that was taking place on the streets below. And then he rained indiscriminate death upon those people enjoying the evening, killing 60 people in what is still the largest mass shooting by a single perpetrator in the history of our country. Maybe you can remember that event and you recall how, beyond even the obvious tragedy of so much loss of life, what made the whole event so particularly disturbing and distressing, even to this day, was the utter lack of any known or coherent possible motive for what that man did. There was no indication, it seems, that there were any indications that could possibly have led anyone to conclude that this otherwise unremarkable man was primed to do such a horrific and evil thing. It seemed to strike people as something where the only explanation we could go to was that which is unexplainable and unexpected, that this was pure, unexpected, unexplainable, diabolical evil. 
But notice that it wasn't according to the common caricatures of such things that we sense in society. This was not something that would make for much of a good movie. It was actually something far more dreadful. It was enmeshed and intertwined with embodied human life and existence. This is why we often see in the Gospels that demonic oppression was inexorably linked to some kind of physical suffering as well. In technical language, you could maybe put it this way, that in Luke 11, we have a demon that is manifesting itself in a kind of biomechanical disorder. Put another way, it was a demon that caused or prevented a man from speaking, caused a man to be mute. Jesus was casting out such a demon, one that prevented speech. But here we have to immediately watch out for those two equal but opposite errors that that we have to be on our guard against. On the one hand, this does not mean at all that the course of action we should follow when we encounter something that might be explained as a mental illness is to tie the suffering person to a bed and call in the priest and watch as the possessed person shrieks as holy water is splashed upon them. The Hollywood depictions of such things do us no real service or help. Nor does it mean that the reality of the diabolical means that we are free to claim that any suffering, both physical and mental, is somehow necessarily the result of a possession or an unrepented sin or some moral failing to trust God enough on the part of the person who was suffering. Instead, what we have in this account is a complex and yet very clear sense that in these scenes of our Lord offering people release from the bondage and oppression that comes from living in a broken and fallen world and suffering in a fallen and broken body is this, that we cannot really neatly separate body and soul, that we cannot clearly untangle the threads of spiritual suffering and physical suffering and pain, that both are equally real and that both actually feed off each other, that they, they can sometimes magnify and support one another. Why, is it, why else is it so often the case that when we have intense physical suffering, it is often accompanied by deep spiritual doubts. And sometimes also vice versa, that deep spiritual doubts can even lead us to a kind of physical suffering as well. The two cannot be neatly separated. We are both body and soul. And the field of battle where the Lord is operating is the human body and the human soul. Now we can apply this seen from Luke chapter 11 in a few ways, a couple ways we can say that it has to do with the kind of training and response that we might pursue because of what we know from Jesus. And then the last thing that we can look at what it means to be aligned properly to be encountering such a conflict. The first thing we might say is we could recognize that the kind of training and formation and catechesis that occurs in a Christian congregation like ours, really does have a real purpose. It is meant to prepare us, among many other things, but especially for the one-two punch 
of spiritual and physical suffering and pain. You know the common complaint from grade school and high school math students, of course. When am I ever going to use this in real life? And much of an adult's job is trying to explain to someone why it is that you still have to learn things, even if your job might not have you on a day-to-day -day basis working out the quadratic equation. There can be a similar kind of Christian complaint where we might say, what is all this really for? All these scriptures that I'm memorizing, all these hymns I'm becoming familiar with, all this liturgy I'm repeating, all these things that I'm embedding into my memory and my psyche, even putting into my muscle memory so that these things happen sometimes almost automatically. What am I doing these things for? Well, one answer is that you'll use such things when you face the diabolical, when you face unexpected and unexplained evil and pain and suffering in your life or in the lives of others. To put it even more directly, when will you use this? You'll use it when you're on your back on a gurney being wheeled through a hospital, staring up at the flashing lights overhead on your way to an OR where someone is going to try to save your life. Or maybe at a time when spiritual suffering is so intense in heart and soul that it becomes difficult, if not impossible, to lift your frame from the bed in the morning. When you encounter such darkness and such trouble and such trial, you will need something, a prayer, a word, a promise of God to come crashing out to illuminate the darkness that you find yourself in. That's what it's there for. It's there for when you need it most. And this kind of training is good and worth pursuing. It's part of the wisdom and virtue of the Christian vocation. The second thing to cover is perhaps a little less common, but I think it's something we can still talk about as believers. We can recognize that taking care of our body, our God-given body, is also a God-pleasing activity, a good thing that can, in a sense, equip us to face the diabolical, that is, to face those moments when unexplained and unexpected trouble and evil come upon us. If it's the case that the diabolical sometimes preys on our weakness, that, we can, that it uses our physical weakness to cause us to doubt the promises of God, then it stands to reason that to have strength in our frame, in our physical body, can be a, not just a physical asset, but a spiritual asset as well. Now, this is not to say that if you want to be a good Christian, you need to look like a bodybuilder, or you need to be the finest specimen of human potential on earth. It is to say no such thing at all. But it is to say that the ways we pursue in our various capacities to care for our body, to promote its health and wellness and well-being, these are good things to do, and they fit within the wisdom and virtue of the Christian vocation. And they help reflect the reality of who God has made us to be, both body and soul, subject to the troubles of soul and subject to the troubles of the body as well. The thing to remember is that just because we can explain 
all sorts of maladies according to purely physical symptoms. It doesn't mean at the same time that the forces of the powers and principalities that the scriptures speak of do not also take advantage of our physical weakness to cause us to, to doubt those promises of God and vice versa. It helps us to see ourselves as this account shows us as unified bodies and souls created by God this way and yet subject to fallenness and brokenness in the way that this mute man was. Finally, aside from training, there's the matter of alignment. And that's what Jesus gets at towards the end of this account in Luke. That what matters in the end is that we are aligned between those two equal but opposite errors. That we're aligned firmly in the camp of Christ where Jesus calls us to be. This gospel in Luke 11 is one of many that accentuates the Lenten theme that when Jesus came, it was the, the beginning and the enacting of this great cosmic battle, this focal point of the momentous battle between God's saving project and the inevitable satanic opposition. And because of this, it's imperative, urgent even for you and for me to be aligned accordingly. But I'm here to tell you that the way you, you find this alignment on the winning side of the war is not by me revealing to you some top secret esoteric battle plan where you are going to get together and do this or that thing to somehow uh, conjure up in yourself the proper, uh, the proper spiritual strength or you're not going to move the right metaphysical levers. There's not some secret solution to this that we alone know about. That might be a way to draw curious crowds, if I were to say such a thing. It has often sold many popular Christian books. But what is truly exciting and genuinely liberating is to hear, even in the midst of the most dreadful physical and spiritual distress, that our Lord Jesus Christ is not simply saying, here's a way, if you're good enough, you can make it. It's our Lord Jesus Christ having already accomplished the victory that is required. This means there's no secret battle plan for us to disclose or to figure out or work out on our own. There is only already accomplished success. And Jesus says then that the way to, to have this victory is to be aligned with him. We have at the end of this when he talks about anyone who's not for him is against him. Another example of Jesus saying, the way you know where you are aligned is how you respond to me, to how you respond to Jesus. And Jesus has called you by the gospel, enlightened you with the gift, his gifts, brought you into his kingdom by baptism, and continues to feed you by his body and blood. This is all the ways, and these are not secrets, that Christ brings you onto his side, brings you into his fold, where he is your victor and he is your hero, where your soul and your body are safe and secure and sound, where even when the dreadful occurs and the unexplained and unexpected evil befalls you and me, we will know that in Christ, such suffering leads to hope and such hope leads to endurance. And through it all, we will pass even through death to life in him. Amen.